0: If you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, we've been doing a series um, called Encounters with Jesus, and we've focused on uh, Jesus' interactions with people, um, that was 2,000 years ago, and how they've responded to him. And I've tried to, hopefully you have too, to imagine how you would respond if you were in those situations. Uh, how would you react how would you respond? And today we're going to look at um, who is this king? Who is this king? The term king uh, can be thrown around pretty loosely these days. Yesterday I was playing down ball with my kids and it's a bit like Foursquare if you're familiar with it. And if you continue to win, you sort of move up and eventually you become the king. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And so you can be the, the king of, of that game. Uh, <clears throat> you might know this guy. I did just press it lightly, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh. We'll go back. There we go. You might know this guy. Uh, he was labeled the king of rock and roll. Uh, he became king because he drew the largest crowds. He was the most enthusiastic. And, uh, and sold more records in in any of uh, his rock and roll contemporaries. And this continued throughout the 1950s. And so he was known as the king. But I want to talk to you about a different king today. Not just a king, but the king. A real king. One that has been the king from the beginning of time. He yeah, and he always will be the king. He's different from any other king. And he's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Sienna, thanks for reading that passage for us. That was great. Hopefully you've got your Bible still open. Yep. Get it out if you put it away. We're going to be referring back to it. So please have it open. And, um, and we're going to dig a bit deeper into that this morning. So... I've broken up this passage into four sections. The first section being the king enters. And if we look at where Jesus come from, he's been, I know it's a really hard map from where you are sitting, but Galilee is up in the north. It's up around sort of where that um, bit of water is at the top, the Sea of Galilee there. Um, That's where Matthew records a lot of his time uh, previously. And, the normal route to travel down from Galilee to Jerusalem is along the yellow line. If you can see that um, sort of going directly from the top to um, Jerusalem in the bottom there. Uh, but Jesus, he he takes a different route. He takes that green uh, line, roughly along there, and goes through Jericho. Why does he go through Jericho? We can we can sort of. Presume, and we can, I guess, uh, make assumptions. In Jericho, that's where he met um, Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus um, had his life turned around. But, we know, but from Jericho, he made his way um, west towards, up over the, the mountains and towards Jerusalem. And, uh, and this whole time, as Jesus makes his way from, from the north up, um, down to Jerusalem... He knows what's going to happen. This isn't like a surprise that he's not sort of going along and go, I wonder what's going to happen in Jerusalem, you know, next week. Uh, he's been predicting his death the whole time. And, uh, he, he knows he's come, he's come to earth and he knows he's going to die. And it's interesting that, I mean, it's all been prophesied, but when does Jesus choose, choose this time? It's during Passover. This is this is this is peak time in Jerusalem. Um, every Jewish adult male was expected to travel to Jerusalem, and sometimes women and children would be present as well. According to the, to the historian uh, Josephus, there were massive crowds in Jerusalem during this time during Passover. Um, some pilgrims began arriving like a week earlier. Um, in order to purify themselves, so that they were ready um, for, to celebrate Passover and to be um, in a state of ritual purity, and so there are lots of people there. Um, this, is a, this is we sort of enter in into the, the what is a, we think is a Sunday beforehand. Um, so it's sort of like a week before Passover, but there's there's people there, people gathering. Now, if you're any sort of um, dominant leader and you want to sort of enter somewhere, you, you want to have, have a presence, don't you? And maybe you think about how you enter, um, uh, what sort of entourage do you have, um, what sort of vehicle do you travel in, um, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you enter the, the, the public event? And when I think about some leaders around the world today and how they... Um, how they have accessed or how they approached and, and entered different events. We'll, we'll compare that to Jesus, hey? So, um, if we check out... I press it again, lightly. <laughs> I'm pressing it lightly. Aha. <laughs> uh, if we look at um, Pope Benedict, um, he, he wrote in the pope mobile. And that was a modified Mercedes-Benz M-Class. It was it cost four hundred thousand pounds, and it featured armour plate, side panels, and undercarriage, and built-up and built-in oxygen supply to the cabin. So this was um, this had a sort of it was secure, but you could sort of see everyone in nice sort of air-conditioned bubble. Um, that's how he sort of chose to to uh, come to events. That's the Pope. Uh, if we move to across to America and we look at uh, Donald Trump, he he spent about 1.2 million euros, uh, sorry pounds, sorry not pa- US uh, pounds, to have a Cadillac modified. Um, it's also known as the Beast. And it's the beast because it literally is a beast. Um, It's it's a moving fortress, and it's got five-inch thick bulletproof windows, and eight-inch thick armored doors. It's 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 a tank really. Um, And to make it, I guess, more of that sort of James Bond feel, it's got um, gas cannons and a night vision camera that are all hidden in the in the front and the front of the car. Um, yeah, so that's how he's chosen to sort of make his entry. We'll cross over um, to England and Her Majesty. She knows how to travel. Uh, the Queen's Bentley State Limousine was especially designed in 2002 for a golden jubilee. Cost her 11 million pounds. And apparently she was pretty impressed and wants another one. The car features high ceilings and doors that can open nine degrees to allow royals to exit the vehicle in a dignified manner. So these are some like important people today. They're sort of, that's how they're sort of choosing to, to ride to different events and appear. What do you reckon Jesus would? If Jesus was around today, how would he appear? What sort of vehicle would he choose? Uh, I went with this one, uh, Mitsubishi Colt. Not, <laughs> yeah, some maybe have got the connection. Um, <laughs> dad joke, maybe. Uh, I think it's pretty a humble car. Um, colt being, you might have picked up in the passage today, Jesus did ride on a on a colt of a donkey. Um, but no, <laughs> um, cars weren't around back in Jesus' time, were they? So, you probably wouldn't have used the car. Um, if you're, a, maybe it would have been more like this. Uh, if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, uh, this is, this is Aragon. And um, it's taken from the, the, th- the third film in the trilogy, The King, uh, the, um, sorry, The Return of the King. And it's a picture of him on his war horse. And it has got his his army behind him, and, and he's ready for battle, but he's ready to sort of take on his his role as king. That's what you'd I guess expect for a, for a king, right? But Jesus, he uh, he turns up on a donkey. He turns up on a donkey. Um. Not this not this uh there's, there's different types of horses there 's not even a a, a a like a classy horse it 's a donkey it 's a donkey, and who is this? This is the king of kings this is this is Jesus our messiah. He said to his disciples, What did he say he said um, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find, this is verse 2, you'll find a donkey tied there, with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. The other Gospels, the other Synoptic Gospels, that's um, Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The other, um, Luke and uh, Matthew, sorry, there. <laughs> there Mark and Luke, they mention just one donkey. Here, I don't know if you picked it up. Two donkeys are going. We've got the, the mum and the baby, the foal, the colt. Why is that? Why does Matthew mention that? How does Jesus ride two donkeys? Does he sort of is he like a stunt rider, sort of you know on both of them? Um, I don't think so. Matthew's making a connection here with the prophet. What prophets he talking about here? Zechariah the prophet. And um, if we flip over to, if you can flip over to Zechariah, that's in the Old Testament. We've got um, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 9, this is where he's referring it to. Zechariah chapter 9, Matthew quotes this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew here is um, there's different sort of reasons why he maybe mentioned the two donkeys here the 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 colt and the the mother um is it because is it because the other the other gospel's just um, didn't mention that didn't mention the other donkeys uh is it when when Matthew writes that he puts the garments on the donkeys and then he sat on them. Is he talking about not sitting on them as in both donkeys, or is it just sitting on the, the garments? I don't think it's a big discrepancy, um, but um, it's just, it was just interesting to note. Jesus, re- Jesus rode on a donkey, uh, he chose to rode, ride on a donkey because it was prophesied, um and he, and he is the true Messiah. Uh, Mark Boder, he's a professor of Old Testament Hebrew. He explains, In ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders rode horses if they rode to war, but donkeys if they came in peace. First Kings 1.33 mentions Solomon riding on a donkey on a day he was recognised as the new king of Israel. The men, the, back in um, Zechariah, it does fit the description of a king who would be who would be righteous and having salvation and being gentle. If we actually read verse 10, so we read before verse 9, if we go on to read verse 10, it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. And so Zachariah is sort of mentioning how he's approaching, uh, how he's coming. He's coming in peace. It says that he, he takes away the chariots. So it's going to be uh, an end to the main vehicle of war. He's going to take away the war horses. So there's no need for, for horses, um, that are like they're used in, in war. It says the battle bow will be broken. So there's no need for, for bow and arrows for fighting. Says he will proclaim peace to the nations. It's kind of a message of reconciliation, isn't he? It says he shall rule from uh rule by a sea sorry, he shall rule, he shall rule. His rule shall be from sea to sea. The king will control extended territory um, beyond, isn't it, beyond those borders, and there'll be no enemies. So Jesus fulfills that prophecy of Zechariah. There's other sort of significant reasons why Jesus chose to ride on a donkey. Um, There's a a few symbolisms and and connections throughout the Bible. We read in Genesis that Isaac was put on a donkey. Um, Isaac being a sort of a a foreshadow of Christ. And and, um, as uh, Abraham was going to go and sacrifice him, he he was put on a donkey. um, And taken up to be told to be slain. Um Jacob also gives a divine blessing over his sons. Um and to Judah he includes a reference to a donkey. If we are, uh, if we look up that in, it's okay, in Genesis 49, it says, it says there, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Guess what? Jesus is born from the tribe of Judah. He's eternally enthroned. Jagger's prophecy describes the king who washes with wine, washes with his own blood, and his white teeth symbolize purity. Jesus was certainly humble, wasn't he? Remember, remember a donkey carried a poor, pregnant mother, Mary, all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And now the gentle beast of burden carried the saviour of the world into Jerusalem. This is this is Jesus. He is humble. He comes in peace this time. But it's not going to be like that next time. I want you to, in your Bibles, flick over to Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It's going to be quite different when Jesus comes next. Revelation chapter 19. Instead of riding on a donkey, Jesus comes on a different horse. Have a look at how it describes Jesus now. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some people missed Jesus the first time he came on a donkey. I hope that we don't miss him, because the next time we'll see him will be quite different. He's going to be um, dipped in dipped in blood. He, he's he's dressed in a robe that's dipped in blood. Um, it, he's come, he comes with judgment. The next section. We move into um, how the crowds praised him. Uh I remember being at school and I remember there was this one lunchtime where these kids would were sort of making a big racket and sort of going big creating a big scene and, and they were sort of moving around the school and and people were following them. And so everyone else then started to follow them. And next thing, it seemed like almost the whole school was just following this 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 crowd, and we don't even really know why. We were just sort of like, oh, you know, there's people, and you just sort of follow them. Um, And you're asking as you're walking along, what's going on? What's going on here? What's what's happening? And um, don't think I think they were just mucking around. It wasn't didn't turn out to be anything in the end. But uh, in a crowd, uh, there's a bit of an excitement. Imagine if you were there in the crowd. Imagine if you uh, you, you could feel that excitement. Who's this person that's um, coming on a donkey? Why are these people shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David? Every Jew would have known Zechariah's messianic prophecy that's why the crowds hailed Jesus as a king shouting hosanna the son of david and so if you were a little kid you'd sort of ask your dad dad what's all the, what's all the, the commotion about oh well, son it's this this is this is the messiah this is the one we've been waiting for Hosanna was originally a Hebrew expression, meaning save. It was like a cry for help to God or sometimes even to a king or sometimes to God on behalf of the king. But later on, it, it was an expression of praise. It became an expression of praise. Whenever you see in a, um, in a text uh, referring to Jesus, the son of David, that's a messianic claim that's um, that's highlighting that he's from, from David, the line of King David, and that he is the Messiah. So when you hear, if you're in that crowd and you, and you hear people saying, Hosanna to the son of David, I think as a Jew you'd be pretty excited. In verse 10 we read uh, later on that when Jesus entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Remember, that Passover time, it's, it's busy time. Everyone's, everyone's wondering what's, what's going on and, and Jesus is there and they're claiming him to be the Messiah. We know that if we continue to read later on the crowds change from saying Hosanna To the son of David, to crucify him, crucify him. In less than a less than a week later. How about you? Do you recognise who Jesus is? Do you recognise him as the Messiah? Maybe you've been coming along to church because you've been following others. Maybe, maybe you 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 came to know Jesus a long time ago and um, you just came along because maybe you were brought up in a Christian home and that's what you did. You just came along and so you're just following your family or you got brought along with a friend and you just came along with your friend. Do you still recognise him as the Messiah? Or are you like the rest of the crowd that later on just ignore him and don't acknowledge him as the um, the son of God if we move on to the the third section Jesus confronts them in Jesus day dignitaries and 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 royal or people of significance would sometimes enter a city and the king would occasionally meet them at the gate and escort them to an important place, being usually the temple, where they would sort of offer a sacrifice to their gods. Um, in Jerusalem, no uh, none of the none of the leaders, none of the Jerusalem leaders, met Jesus, or even acknowledged him, or even ushered him into the temple. But that's where Jesus went. He went straight to the temple. Why did he go there? <coughs> I found this in the bathroom. This is a um, this is a cleanser. Josh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, cleansers. Uh, cleansers remove oils, dirt, and makeup, um, and so yeah. <laughs> so they get rid of, I guess, all the imperfections, and. Jesus, he goes to the temple and he he cleanses it and he gets rid of imperfections. So, what sort of imperfections does he find there at the temple? Well, he uh, there's two there's two sort of significant things. Verse twelve and thirteen says. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So two groups of people that he's come to, I guess, um, to target. It's almost like he sort of said, that's enough. And he goes there and he uh, he deals with these two people. Two two people who've got the um, the money changers. They're the ones that are... Um, because people are travelling from all over the town and from all different places, and at each different place they're using different currency. To make it easier, why not in the temple where everyone's got to come and you've got to pay the temple tax? Um, why not have a place where you can exchange your foreign currency for what's acceptable uh, in the temple? So, what was acceptable in the, in the temple was this: um, was Assyrian silver coins. Um, and they had to pay a temple tax of half a shekel. And so, why not have a place conveniently in the temple where you can do that? Sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, Jerusalem's a big city, and you've got a, um, people come together to the temple. They've got to pay their temple tax. They've all got different money, but only the the one type of currency is accepted. So, people have set up these these money changers. Have set up this. These stalls where you can go and you can um, exchange your foreign currency for um, for the shekel. Um, there's also so there's a group that he, Jesus targets that group and also another group where a similar idea. You've got people that are travelling, and um, there's people that are selling uh, animals for sacrifice. Again, they've got a variety of animals, so fit for different people, different um, wealth, different amount of money. And again, making it easier, right? If you've been on the road, you've been traveling, and why not sort of go all to one place where you can change your money, get your uh, animals? That sounds pretty reasonable, right? Why, why has James got a problem with that? Well, the problem is, these people are um, abusing their positions and their t- and their they they're charging exorbitant amounts exorbitant amounts for um for what they're what they're getting interest rates range from about twenty to three hundred percent um of what what that should be have been charging and so there's sort of i guess a there's a greed going on here people are hungry for money and Jesus what does he do He starts flipping the tables so he's He could have, I guess, uh, mentioned anything, but he went and and spoke to those people. We know what Jesus thinks about money. Matthew 6.24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There were people, that I guess, would, that were would, um, taking advantage of the situation for their own gain. They were being greedy. They were taking advantage of people who would come to sort of worship God and they were sort of getting their own... had their own interest in mind. Hmm. If Jesus came to this church today would he start flipping tables what tables would he flip what are we doing here at Monty that maybe isn't um, isn't the way that he intended us to to worship him is it the way that we um, the, way, the way we do church are we, are we making sure that people can come and worship Him and aren't restricted? Thinking about it on a personal level, because um, we know that as Christians we, are the, um, we have the Holy Spirit inside us, and First Corinthians tells us that we're actually the, our bodies are the, are the temples, aren't they? What does Jesus need to cleanse inside us personally? Do we have sin in our lives that Jesus really needs to to target? Are we greedy? There's no tables here with a whole lot of money on them. We all do our electronic sort of banking now. Maybe Jesus needs to flip our bank accounts. Are we being greedy and And holding on to uh, money ourselves. Sorry, this is a a diagram of the temple, and so Jesus was in the outer courts. I don't know if you can see there, the court of the Gentiles. That's where people were selling stuff, and that's where Jesus targeted. Um, What's our What's our response if we go into? um, Let's look at first of all the response of the people in the in this passage we see that um, in verse 14 the people weren't generally upset with Jesus flipping tables they still came to him it says in verse 14 the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them people still drawn to Jesus maybe they were happy with what he was doing but they were healed. It says there um, later on that the children were shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. So they were praising Jesus. But what does it say about the chief priests and teachers of the law? It says they were indignant, pretty angry. How are we going to respond to Jesus? Are we going to uh, ignore? Are we going to sort of say, yay, Jesus, you're my king. And then within the week, we don't even acknowledge him as king Let's not miss out on the relationship with Jesus. The children were praising him. They knew who Jesus was. But then you've got the teachers of the law, people that supposedly knew the, um, knew the Bible and, and knew the prophecies and yet couldn't see Jesus. My prayer is that today that you will see Jesus. That maybe he's um, he's talking to you, and maybe there's some something in your life that you need to to cleanse. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to clear out, and I hope that he's pinpointing uh, that in your life. We can, if we run to Jesus, he can heal us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for, for sending Jesus. We thank you that, as we were reminded this morning, that Jesus spoke in the beginning of creation and, and spoke um, creation into being. And yet, he came and he, he rode a donkey into Jerusalem and there he was crucified. What a savior, Father! As we've been sort of thinking about Jesus and the um, the way that He interacted with people, Lord, I pray that You will be stirring in our hearts, stirring um, things that we need to change, things that we need to confront. And Lord, I pray that we'll be drawn closer to you. I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.